Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Coming up on Stu Does America, I'll be joined by author Michael Malice to discuss the manufactured news narratives championed by our embarrassing media. We'll look for the secret that kept the stripper industry profitable over the pandemic. I mean, it's boobs. That's the secret, but we'll get into it anyway. And I'm going to complain about stupid Andrew Cuomo and his stupid book and all these stupid illegal money that he made off of it. So let's gang up and fight terminal stupidity as we do. Cuomo's book scam. Stu does America. Now, when you talk about Andrew Cuomo, a lot of focus has been put on his sexual harassment allegations, and for good reason. Now, we have a report from the Attorney General that is still expected and is on the way, and and that's going to do a lot of uh, the storytelling as to how this thing ends. Uh, But I will tell you this, one thing I know for certain, he's been accused of all sorts of terrible things, but let me tell you one thing I know for certain, Andrew Cuomo doesn't care. There is a legal definition of harassment that is very clear. All I was saying is just uncomfortable does not uh, Mm -hmm. mean Uh, sexual harassment. uh, You make me uncomfortable by some of the questions you ask me. That is not sexual harassment. (laughs) There are other elements that also have to be added. (laughs) Intimate has a number of uh, manifestations. Uh I think we have an intimate relationship. Don't you think that? (laughs) Yeah. Not a sexual relationship. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> made you uncomfortable oh. with that question, didn't I? Oh, he made another person uncomfortable. Now, you see, the reason that's funny is because it makes light of all the women he's been groping. <laughs> now that you know the context, isn't it hilarious? But despite all of the uh, handsy escapades of Governor Cuomo, I think the bigger issue just might be the thousands of murders of old people he's responsible for. Maybe it's just me. For months, the real numbers of victims of Cuomo's policies were known to him, but hidden by him. The same could be said about his compensation for his viscerally repulsive book, How to Enrich Yourself by Murdering Grandparents. Technically, that was actually the working title. The final title was American Crisis. Here it is. That now, I will say, American Crisis, pretty good title for this. It not only describes the book, but also a good description of what he unleashed on the nation during the last year. Before we actually sort of received the truth from the endlessly corrupt Cuomo about his cash for disease scheme, he had to first make sure people weren't listening. So predictably, he used distraction. Quote, hours before the release of the figures, Mr. Cuomo made a series of major pandemic-related announcements. Huh! including the end of most mask mandates in the state for vaccinated New Yorkers, the loosening of capacity restrictions on businesses, and the return of the New York City Marathon and the Tribeca Film Festival. Wow! I guess the science just supported that change in policy a few hours before his announcement. He was just following the science, right? 
the science just said that this science should be announced as a distraction before an embarrassing admission, right? That's how the science works. So what was the announcement? For his horrible scam of a book, Cuomo received $5.12 million. $5.12 million. You might say he made $5.12 million for nothing, but that's not fair. His book was far worse than nothing. If only he had done nothing, nursing homes would have just said, uh, actually, we're not going to accept COVID positive patients because our other residents are going to get sick. That would have saved lives. Nothing would have been much better than Cuomo. Literally having no governor at all would have been far superior to having someone who seemed intent to eliminate the entire population north of 65 years old. $5.12 million. Now, you might not be in the business of ending the lives of innocent people for profit, so you might not realize how much money this is for a book these days. But almost no one makes this kind of cash for a book in the year 2021. According to the New York Times, across the publishing world, the revelation of Mr. Cuomo's payment elicited shock. The amount appeared to be a staggering sum to pay a politician who already had a meager sales record for his previous book, a memoir that sold just a few thousand print copies. Remember, we're talking about $5.12 million. In fact, even if you take away $1.12 million from that total, it's still completely insane. How do we know that? Well, it was initially reported that Cuomo earned $4 million for the book. Here's how the left-wing magazine The New Republic covered it. Why would anyone pay Andrew Cuomo $4 million for a book? Remember, that's a lot of money for any author. But Cuomo is quite possibly the worst single author in the history of words. Quote, seven years ago, on the eve of being elected to a second term as governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo completed a rite of passage familiar to all presidential aspirants. He published a memoir, All Things Possible. It's overlong at more than 550 pages, cliche ridden and hopelessly dull, which is to say it's a standard issue political tome. Cuomo was paid more than $700,000 in an advance by HarperCollins, and the book had announced an initial print run of 200,000. But five months after it was published, it had sold just over 3,000 copies in hardcover and 13 audiobooks. <laughs> Even by the dismal standards of the subgenre of books by politicians, this was a flop based on a conservative estimate of the governor's advance. Cuomo earned about $200 for every hardcover sold. <laughs> I don't even know. He sold 13 audiobooks total. Like, not 13,000, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. That's it. They had to pay Cuomo 200 bucks per book. I can't describe to you how crazy that is. It is a catastrophe in every single way. When that happens to you, you never write another book ever again, let alone get a signing bonus. So how did this work out for the company in the new book? Quote, there's no question that they lost their shirts 
and that Cuomo was the beneficiary of what can only be characterized as a bad commercial decision, <laughs> said Mike Schatzkin, the founder and chief executive of Ideological, a publishing consultancy. Bad commercial decision is quite the understatement. It's like calling the importation of COVID-positive patients into a nursing home a bad management decision. True, yes, but sort of understating the problem. Quote, though more successful than its predecessor, it has sold about 45,000 copies. Woo. It, too, is a disaster from a sales standpoint. And that was before Cuomo was hit with a cascade of scandals. Its publisher, Crown, stopped promoting it earlier this year. American Crisis even plays a supporting role in one of those scandals. While Cuomo and his aides were at work on the book, they were simultaneously working to undercount nursing home deaths early in the pandemic, according to the Times. And that's an important point. It's not just that the book was bad, which it was. It's not just that the book was a failure, which it most certainly was, too. It's that the book itself was a big part of the problem. Quote, last summer, top aides to Mr. Cuomo gathered at the governor's mansion with the editors to read from the manuscript a memoir of the pandemic's first months. The aides who had been directly involved in the pandemic response took turns reading passages and commenting on facts in the work, according to two people with knowledge of the gathering, which began on a Friday and stretched into the weekend. Fun, fun, fun. The governor also read aloud from the work. So in the same place he was allegedly groping women, he was also forcing them to read his book. I am not sure which one is worse. The craziest part about all of this is not that he may have forced staffers to help with it, which is against the law, or that he completely failed. He's Andrew Cuomo. His life is one gigantic failure after another. The strangest thing is that there is virtually no way this could have succeeded. Industry figures have estimated that figure assumed sales in the very high six figures and possibly over one million, an astonishing number, particularly given the disruptions caused by COVID-19. It points to the kind of mania that grips some publishing houses and the bubbles that many executives live in. Cuomo's popularity among a certain set was so profound that the idea that American crisis could be the kind of book that makes a publishing house's year took hold. Look, we can mock him for selling 5% of expectations, but 50,000 copies of a book from Andrew Cuomo is a literal miracle. Like, that's incredible. He actually outperformed any reasonable expectation by probably 10 times and was still only at 120th of breaking even. What the hell is going on? Is this money laundering? It all sounds like the high school kind of athlete that goes into college and then just happens to land a job at the local car wash where he makes 200 bucks an hour and just happens to be owned by a prominent alumni. The New Republic sums up the entire saga very well. It doesn't really matter what Cuomo or his team wrote. The fact that he had aides working on it in the midst of a pandemic that was killing his constituents while at the same time covering up a death toll is more damning than anything he or anyone else could have written. Cuomo published a book meant to be a monument to his own political abilities. It's now looking more like a tombstone on his national political career. I mean, actually, he is, seems to still be running Biden's COVID response, but that's another story. All of this still begs the question, why? Why 
Would you lie about this? Why would you hide the numbers? Why would you have your staff cover them up? Why would you interfere with the scientific reports that told the truth? Why would you torture the families of all of these people who died as a result of your policies? $5.12 million. That's why. Why would you lie about this? $5.12 million. Why would you hide the numbers? $5.12 million. Why would you have your staff cover them up? $5.12 million. Why would you interfere with scientific reports that told the truth? $5.12 million. Why would you torture all of the families of these people who died as a result of your policies? $5.12 million. Andrew Cuomo lied to New York. He lied to America. He lied to your face every single day for months to protect $5.12 million. And the media assisted him every step of the way, all in attempt to save that precious $5.12 million. I hope it was worth it. Let's say you're going to go out and buy a new home for $5.12 million and you need a real estate agent. Well, if you happen to have that exact amount of money, don't go to realestateagentsitrust.com because you're going to be way too annoying for the fine people there. But if you're a normal person looking for a new home, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Glenn's company. He started it several years ago because he was having a tough time and he realized, hey, this is a big financial uh, transaction. Why am I just going with like random people that I can find in the phone book or a friend of a friend of a friend? I really need someone who's screened and can really handle these transactions better than anyone in my area. Well, that's why he developed realestateagentsitrust.com. You can get your real estate agent screened so you get the highest performing agent in your area. If you're buying a home, if you're selling a home, you need the best, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. It's maybe even more important in a market like this that's going crazy. Make sure you know what's going on. realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. And we were all hanging out uh, earlier this week and we were talking about guests and I was like, who, who do we need to have on? I'm like, we, it's been a long time since we've had Michael Malice on the program. What the hell is going on? So Michael Malice, we're going to rectify that situation right now. He's the host of You're Welcome, the podcast, and the author of the upcoming book, The Anarchist's Handbook. Michael, great to see you. Uh, great to be here, Stu. Thank you so much. It's great to have you on. Um, I, uh, I, I, I kind of want to get your vibe about the state of the world today here for a minute. Um, what, first of all, let's go with the pandemic. What is, what's pandemic life around you like right now? Well, I, I'm here in New York City in Brooklyn. I've had it with New York. I've lived here all my life. I'm moving to Austin as soon as that possibility allows itself. Um, wow. It's kind of brutal here in New York. Uh, they just uh, passed some laws. So now you're going to be able to have full capacity at the gym. They told us at the gym, you're not going to have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated. Um, on the subways, there have been fewer and fewer people wearing masks, although it is still the majority. A lot of people are doing the mask over the mouth thing. Um, but I think New York is a lost cause at this point. Uh, I think we're going to see some major increases in crime and in general quality of life collapsing. So uh, I thought I'd be the last guy standing, but it's not going to happen. I'll, I'll assume we'll be neighbors uh, to some extent uh, as Texans. Wow, that's big news. I mean, it does seem like this is happening more and more. People moving to Texas. You see a lot of Florida. You see a lot of Nashville. 
people want out of these areas because I think it's somewhat scarring for the residents who've been there the whole time. Yeah, Lauren Chen, who I'm sure you know, had this great quote. She was on my show and she was trying to get uh, treatment for her dad who had cancer. Uh, she's Canadian during this situation and basically they couldn't get anything for a year because COVID took priority while the man has cancer growing in his body. And she just had the comment, she goes, why am I funding my own oppression? And you know how sometimes mm. someone just says that one sentence and just a light bulb moment? All my friends fled. Why am I paying more money for less quality of life? Especially because in New York and in many other places similar to New York, LA, of course, being a good example, California as a whole, there does not seem to be any mechanism in place for things to be improving. I don't know if you saw that clip, I think last week from Rachel Maddow, where she was basically having a breakdown because on the one hand, she was glad that the CDC is allowing people or telling people not to wear masks. But on the other hand, she didn't know who to yell at on the street. You know, are they not wearing masks because they're vaccinated or they're not wearing masks because they're sociopaths who want to kill the elderly? And, you know, this need for people like this. I mean, you laugh and there's a humorous aspect to it. But at a certain point, I think you have probably passed this point a long time ago. And many of your listeners realized there's no having a conversation here. This yeah. is not people who see the world and the mechanisms for understanding the world in the same way. So you have to move forward in that vein and not attempt at all to sit down and have a conversation because when you are so emotionally vested in such a talisman as that mass becomes you know it's a tightrope to have that conversation yeah you know i'm, I'm glad you brought the Maddow clip up because i i had the same feeling i mean i, I did have the initial uh, and recurring uh you know yeah. instinct to laugh at it but like in reality it's it's actually a pretty honest and sad moment i mean she's it, not only admitting that she's having, you know, real goblins kind of bouncing around her mind of how to deal with regular life again, but also kind of admitting that she basically vilified half the population and has seen them as threats, literal threats to her livelihood. I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a scary place to be. Yeah, what the masks allowed people, and I saw this a lot in New York, is it allowed like low status people to have a, a room and a position to assert dominance over others, even strangers in the most random uh, situations. What COVID has done it is allowed overeducated urban leftist elites to have a reason for their constant state of anxiety and depression and anger. <laughs> that reason is now external, right? So it's yeah. not that you are neurotic. You haven't, it's not just that you've gone to university system that's institutionalized this neurosis and made you a crazy person. Now you can and say, look, the call's not coming from inside the house. It's this invisible monster everywhere, and we have to do our best to make sure it, it you know, we engage in our exorcisms to make sure that this doesn't happen, even though the, if someone had this funny meme, which was just hilarious, they go, you know, the vaccines will help people survive COVID. So I was like, wait, so is the survival rate going to go from 99.5 to 99.6? Uh, <laughs> you know, when you realize that surely a lot of people are dying, but when you realize in terms of risk, there, H.L. Mencken, the great newspaper man from the early 20th century, once said, the average man does not want to be free. He merely wants to be safe. And I think what we're seeing over and over is so many people, including people on the right, would much rather be safe and secure and be told what to do than to have any sense of responsibility or risk. And again, these are two different psychological states, and I don't know how you have discussions between them. Uh, you know, both of us, I think, are pretty skeptical of government in, in, in most in most ways. Um, I have at times been surprised at how poorly this has been handled. And it's been you know, it's been all it's been both parties. It's kind of been across the, the, the uh, both sides at, at, at different uh, times. You know, looking at this like the 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 messaging has been terrible. Uh, the, the there's been no there's been no admitting by the government that 
individuals are people. I mean, you see the way that this is being messaged now. You get the vaccine and you get your life back. Like, did we give it up? I don't remember signing on to giving up my life at any point in the past. And again, I'm not against vaccines by any means, but the way that they are communicating this stuff, I don't know that they could have done a worse job. I disagree. I think they did a great job if given their goals and their mm. goals was to keep everyone in a state of perpetual fear and obedience. And some very, very bad people have received some very useful information about how much a population will put up with. Mm. Uh, they pushed and pushed and pushed and they saw at what point people are like, you know what, I've had it. I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of you saying I'm going to be killing the elderly. And there was some pushback. But you and I have to admit, if this was 2019 and we had to bet how much would be tolerated, we would both have lost big. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're 100% right. I mean, I said it on the air. I, the American people would never stand for this type of stuff, even in a, a crisis situation. And they did for a long, a long time. How much? And, or, I'm sorry, just, and not just stood for it. They made sure their neighbors fell in line. Mm. That is what I think you and I would have missed. The degree in which people were excited to be enforcers of the state and the corporate media's edicts. That, that's, a, that's a great point, because I think, you know, look, people want to do they want to be nice to each other. They want to be good people. But you're right. There was a lot of that sort of, I mean, it's what Rachel Maddow talked about. She saw people as threats and it was, there's sort of a moral superiority that kicked in there. How nervous are you for the future, Michael, in that like next time there's a bubbling up weird flu situation going on in China, next time there's some threat that we don't expect. I mean, the government has learned a lot about the American people here and it scares me what, what they're going to do with that knowledge. Well, there's two scenarios, right? One is that conservatives play the long game in terms of tolerance, like they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And then at a certain point, they're like, no, 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 you're not. We're not doing this a second time. A good example of this, I'd say, was the Iraq war. Uh, people took uh, the Bush administration at face value, the New York Times propaganda at face value. They went into Iraq and then many conservatives after that were like, what was I thinking? We can never have this happen again. So that's one scenario that if they tried again, if Gretchen Whitmer and her ilk and her coven tried pushing this over, people would be like, no, no, sister, we're not doing this a second time. The other scenario is World War One and World and the Great Depression. World War One, we had a basically totalitarian state. It was for the reason ostensibly of fighting the Great War. Woodrow Wilson had his progressive fantasy of a nation micromanaged from D.C. So when FDR came along with the New Deal in 1933, all he had to say is, you guys just did this 15 years ago during a time of literal war. Surely the depression is as much of a war as it was against the Hun. So there's two ways this could play out. And frankly, I think it'd be much closer to the first. I think it'd be a lot harder to get people to lock up a second time because when something's new, it's a it's an emergency. You want to err on the side of caution, right? Like, mm -hmm. let's let's panic or let's really be sure, because if this is a pandemic and we're killing many millions of people, we really need to get it right the first time or else it explodes. We've all seen the movies. But given that we did everything and the rates were similar in mass states versus unmasked states, if they tried it again, I think, frankly, I think there'd be enough corrupt politicians on the right who would just see this as an opportunity to give the finger to the Democrats. And even if they're doing it for the wrong reasons, at least they're giving the right outcome. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's interesting. That's actually an optimistic take. Uh, I, I, I mean, I kind of feel... Uh, I feel I feel like you're going to they're going to come up with some way of pushing these things across to people. But there is going to be a pushback. I do think that that is we, we do tend to learn our lesson after the first time as the American people, at least at some degree. Uh, you, you talked about you've talked about this a lot. Your last book, uh, The New Right, uh, talked about uh, about the way the left and the right interact. And yeah. you've kind of referenced it a couple times as we've been talking. There's just no way 
to talk to each other anymore across this divide. It's it's is it are we really at that point where it's just not possible? Well, I sure hope so. I'm doing everything I can to make sure that comes to an end, because when it comes to my rights and my family and my freedom and my safety, uh, we're not having a discussion. My rights are enough for discussion, let alone a vote. So you see over and over so many people among corporate journalists, so many people in politics referring to saving our democracy, our democracy. That's a code word for our control. Uh, CNN had this segment freaking out that people like Tim Pool and Dave Rubin were having more viewers than CNN and how could we let this happen? Independent creators are where people are getting their news. So they are very scared that they don't have monopoly control of the mic. And frankly, I don't see any way for them to get it back. In the same way, you're never going to have a Super Bowl that 75% of America watches again. At a certain point, things just separate out and people go their own way. So I'm, that is one of the reasons I'm so hopeful that finally people on the right are realizing, wait a minute, there's no conversation to be had. Let's take the fight to the Democrats. Uh, there is a, uh, I mean, your last book about kind of examined the right. Um, there's been this sort of civil war on the right that's developed uh, the past uh, couple months uh, with Liz Cheney being sort of the voice here where she's kind of come out yeah and she's talked about look you know uh, trump's a bad guy and we need to talk about that as the kind of the number one priority obviously there was a lot of pushback on that point um are you surprised at all about how this has played out or is this is this kind of the way you saw it I am shockingly delighted that the Republicans had a backbone and realized that to kill this murder hag and get her out of the leadership is smart policy. Because after eight years of Bush Cheney, the Democrats had super majorities in both houses and got Obamacare. So even if Bush Cheney's policies were the correct policies, it was still disastrous for the Republican Party. I also think You saw a a year and a half of people talking about defunding the police. So no matter what wacky leftist idea comes out there, people everywhere now have to have a response to it. Why doesn't the right throw out crazy ideas and have the left freak out? They're going to freak out anyway. Put forth a bill to deport Liz Cheney to Baghdad. I think even if it doesn't pass, it would certainly go a long way towards getting people to realize the Republican Party means what it says when it's saying not to kill American soldiers for the sake of giant companies. I mean, what what you're talking about here basically is a negotiation tactic, right? Like we, exactly. you, you see like the Republicans are like, we're going to cut taxes from 39 to 37 and everyone freaks out and the same meltdown would happen if they said 39 to 0%, right? So right. why not go for it if that's your goal? You guys want to have a bill to have Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. become states? Okay, here's a bill to export Cali- uh, expel California from the union. <laughs> I think that would get a huge amount of support in this country, and I'm pretty serious, Stu. Yeah, uh, you usually are. I, I just, you're always thinking outside of the box. It's always interesting to hear. Um, okay, so let me, uh, let me go to, let me give me one more on the, on the pandemic. Uh, we've heard from people like Fauci um, multiple times uh, that, Things have things that he said he later on would come out and um, not be wrong on, but tell you that he actually was lying last time. Like, for example, with masks, he never he's saying that, OK, well, you know what? Actually, um, we, I said the masks uh, were not necessary because we needed them for the hospitals. He said um, uh, recently, uh, once again, another one of these types of things where he said, look, well, you know, the, the, the way this has been passed is a little bit different. Um, the, the herd immunity is a little bit higher than I told you before, but I knew no one would would be interested in the herd immunity if I said it was that high. 
this is manipulation, right? I mean, this is the type of thing that I feel like the American people normally react with horror against. You, wait, you manipulated us in a crisis? You told us the wrong thing intentionally because you thought we would act poorly? That is not what the American people are used to dealing with. I'm surprised to see them, I don't know, roll over to that type of thing. They've been dealing with it for over 100 years, since the days of William Randolph Hearst, and we're taught since gov- since kindergarten, government schools, to be obedient at that smart person at the front of the room. So when people look to Fauci, they've been trained since elementary school that that person at the front of the room knows what they're talking about, and you should defer to their judgment. This is the entire point of government schooling, is to break young children and make them submissive and obedient to authority. So I'm not surprised in the slightest. I am delighted, though, that conservatives are pushing back and pushing back in such strong ways and not in like, oh, like compromising, like you just said a second earlier, like, well, how about we wear a mask half the time? But it's like, wait a minute, (laughs) this guy is a clown. He's been contradicting himself in many ways. And when you're dealing with something as dynamic and nuanced as a plague, there's never going to be one answer. Just like Thomas Sowell talks about, you're going to have to have costs and benefits. At what cost? What is this going to, uh, is this going to be worth it in the long term? So uh, I am not surprised that people have been this submissive, but I'm delighted that they've been pushing back finally. Uh, and last one, you mentioned the schools. I, th- I think this is an interesting part of this. Um, you know, you always see the left never lets a crisis go to waste. The right, sure. I mean, look, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad tactic maybe, but it's a, war- it's, a, it's a useful tactic in some ways. And that like, I really do think one of the missed opportunities here is instead of yelling, hey, open the schools, open the schools, open the schools, which is a valid point. I mean, they shouldn't have been closed, but like, don't open these government schools that are teaching our kids crazy things. Like maybe we should have taken this as an opportunity to talk about things like private schools, like home schools, like schools and, you know, pod learning and all these different things that have popped up. Is that a missed opportunity? Do you see that as a positive of this? It, it could not be a bigger positive. There's a huge spike in terms of homeschooling, these pod schools that you're talking about and other alternative to government schools. Uh, people want their kids educated and they're realizing that the, if you send your children to a government school, they will be trained to hate you from a very early age and to despise what you stand for and your values. So many people don't have that opportunity to have that choice, but whoever else does, get your kid out of the school because those administrators despise you and are going to train your children to do the same thing. And if you look at social media, they trip over themselves, desperate to find ways to turn kids against their parents. Mm. Uh, I will tell you, I had a great conversation with Michael Malice on his podcast a while ago, and I can't tell you how many people after that came out said, the guy you were on with misspelled the name of his podcast. It's not, you're welcome. He's got it. He's got it wrong. I said, no, no, that's actually, he's got it right. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, It's the podcast uh, from Michael Malice. He's got the upcoming book, The Anarchist Handbook. Uh, Don't miss out on it. And Michael, great to see you, man. And thanks for coming on the program. Always a pleasure, Stu. Take care. Thank you for being here with me on this beautiful Tuesday, the perfect day for doing America. You can help me do America over at my Instagram page, at Stu Does America. You can also catch all of my picks and exclusive content. Plus, you can click the link in the bio. Got to take you to all the platforms where you can stream the show for free. It doesn't suck. But you know who does suck? Nancy Pelosi. So be sure to let all your friends and family know that fact from your very own Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. You can just write up a note. Nancy Pelosi sucks with your Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. This this exclusive uh, item to Stu Does America. It's a replica of the impeachment pen Nancy Pelosi signed to impeach Donald Trump. Looks just like it, except instead of her signature saying Nancy Pelosi, it says Nancy Pelosi 
sucks. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen available now. Limited quantities at Nancy Pelosi sucks pen dot com. Don't miss your chance before they run out. OK, uh, Ohio has seen a boost in shots after it announced a one million dollar vaccination lottery. Kind of one of these things where you enter the lottery uh, by getting a needle stuck in you. And uh, if you win, you get a bunch of money. So shockingly, of course, people would rather get a chance to get a million dollars than not. Screw you if you happen to get really early in line, Ohio, uh, and you got vaccinated like the first day, you get no chance at a million dollars. At least I don't think so. Anyway, I don't know. I guess this thing is they're talking about this as a, a potential way of getting people who are on the fence, not necessarily people who are ideologically against a vaccine, but people who are just like, eh, I'll get it or I won't get it. If I have, you know, if I happen to be in the store and at the right time and it's available, I'll, I'll get it. If not, I'm not going to bother. Those people, maybe they go and they get their, uh, you know, five million dollar lottery uh, entry by getting the shot. Um, But some of these government programs are not working very well. Uh, We remember there's been multiple stimulus programs, right? Multiple checks to get the economy going. The first round uh, that was dispersed in April of 2020, fourteen hundred dollars went out and um, the unemployment rate was very high at the time, about 15 percent. Nearly three quarters of U.S. household used those initial, it was $1,200, the payment actually, used those initial $1,200 payments primarily for expenses as opposed to saving them or using them to pay off existing debt. So the idea with a stimulus check, obviously, is you're putting that money out into the economy. You're going to go spend it, right? If you just save it, well, that's supposedly bad. It's not the Keynesian way of doing things. Well, that was the first one. So you could say, all right, we're in the middle of the pandemic. We're in these first... If you remember, there's two weeks to slow the spread, then they extended it for another month. So there's six weeks of what you would call, I think, national shutdown, right? In those six weeks, those checks came, people spent them. They were desperate. They needed the money very badly. A year later, we're in a totally different situation. So uh, the new $1,400 stimulus check that just came out, only 19% of Americans actually spent that on expenses. Everyone else is paying off debts and saving the money. So it went from 75% with the first batch of checks down to 19%. That's not what these checks are supposed to do. It's, you're seeing the strangeness of this economy right now, and you're realizing how bad the government is at trying to manage a situation like this. They can't do this in good times, let alone the times we're in right now. Um, however, there are some elements of the economy that have been remarkably uh, resilient. And I will say, <laughs> this actually shocked me. Strippers, strippers are doing relatively well. Now, the headline of the story says strippers are back on the job, but COVID rules are hurting their pay. You could see how a COVID restriction might hurt your job as a stripper. It's one of those jobs where you kind of want to be close. You don't necessarily want to be across the room, uh, six feet social distance wearing a mask. Right. This is there's a little bit of a personal touch, I think, uh, to the stripper industry and all the associated stripper uh, industries, whatever they may be. But I will say this. I was actually very I felt this was great news for the stripper industry. As some of the United States uh, estimated, 3,821 strip clubs start to open up again. Women who work as strippers are confronting a transformed industry. Revenue in the industry is estimated to have decreased 17.4% 17.4% in 2020. 
Wait, the entire economy was closed for like a good chunk of this year. And strip clubs were closed in it, it, seemingly half the states at least for like a long time. How did they maintain 82% of their income? I mean, how many times did Jeffy go to the strip club? That's my question. 82.6% of their income they were able to maintain in a year when the economy was shut down? This is a... I mean, that is... I think that's great news. Good job. Good job, strippers. You are one of the most resilient parts of this economy. Also very resilient uh, part of this economy, Gwyneth Paltrow vagina candles. I mean, it's one of the things that's really uh, fueled the industry. Um, uh, you know, the vagina candle industry seems to be almost all of the business goes to Gwyneth Paltrow. And I would say one of the, uh, one of the real standouts when it comes to macroeconomic theory as we've gone through this pandemic time. But uh, sad, sad news. Um, there is a lawsuit. Uh, TMZ has obtained a lawsuit by someone who bought a vagina candle of Gwyneth Paltrow and claims that uh, after burning for an estimated three hours or less, the candle became engulfed in high flames and exploded. Now, I don't know what she's doing with these candles, man. I would be terrified to know. I, there's, like, I mean, it's weird because Gwyneth Paltrow, by all... She's very attractive. She's a movie star. It shouldn't be weird, but it's, it, I mean, it should be weird, but it shouldn't be as like, I don't know, as icky as it seems to me. I, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what it's saying. I just, I feel like I'm just not surprised that it would explode. And I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to communicate why I think that, but it does feel like the type of thing that would explode. I, I'm not a scientist, but like if you're going to say, hey, what's the number one thing you'd think you could buy off a shelf that would explode? I would say Gwyneth Paltrow vagina candles. I can't explain why. I don't have a scientific basis for that. It's just my impression that it would explode. And I don't know what that means for Gwyneth and her vagina, but I don't think it's it, it means something good. So if you like to eat things all the time, you probably know what my world's like. I kind of like to eat things all the time, as you can tell. But if you want to eat things all the time that taste delicious and you don't want it to just absolutely destroy you, you want to uh, get in the Built Bar world. Built Bar is here and they're here because they decided, why don't we come up with like a really good tasting bar that has, you know, high protein, uh, high fiber, low calories, low carbs, all the things that you want from like a healthy food, but make it taste good. Let's start at the taste, make it delicious, and then make it healthy. This shouldn't be a concept that's that uh, hard. And I know a lot of people try to do it, but Bill Parr's actually succeeded, I guess. That's the reason why everyone's going nuts for these things. Listen to some of these flavors. Coconut almond, coconut, double chocolate, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, raspberry, cookies and cream, Jerry, well, it's, this one's Cherry Barcia, which is a parody of Cherry Garcia, which is a parody of Jerry Garcia. The point here is that these things are delicious and you should get them in your life. You need them in your life. BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Use the promo code STU15. That will save 15% off your next order. And don't try to be cute and say, well, what about STU58? Will that save me 58%? I don't think that's going to work for you. You could try it. 
but I wouldn't recommend it because I don't think it's going to work. Try Stew 15. Stew 15, 15% off your Built Bar order at BuiltBar.com. Uh, Joe Biden is very excited about electric cars. Uh, that's the future of the auto industry, uh, he says, and so does Jen Psaki, says the future of the end- industry is electric. Everyone will tell you that. It's true. They will tell you that. That is definitely true. I will say, though, sometimes we get critical of the Biden administration, and that's, you know, look, we're conservatives. I understand why that happens. But we should at some point, um, and at certain times at least, stop and acknowledge the real eloquence of some of the Biden administration officials like Jen Psaki when she said the president is a longtime fan of cars. That's pretty powerful (laughs) from Jen Psaki. Uh, Michael Burry of the Big Short uh, is in the news. Now, if you if you don't know Michael Lewis, he's an article. He's one of my favorite uh, authors. He's not, you know, no conservative by any means, but just a great writer. He wrote uh, The Big Short. He wrote Moneyball. Um, he's he's written a, a Liar's Poker, a bunch of great books. And uh, so he is, uh, he wrote about Michael Burry. He was kind of the star of The Big Short, if I remember right. It's been a while. By the way, I just read Michael Lewis's new book about the pandemic, which is Oh, man, did I find some good nuggets in there for you. I can't wait to bring them to you. Uh, well, that's coming up soon. Anyway, um, so Michael Burry has announced he's taken a short position on Tesla. He's bet against Tesla. He's put $530 million on the line betting against Tesla. I will say I had this same idea a few years ago. There's no way this Tesla thing's going to work. And if I had bet and successfully figured out how to short Tesla, I would be living under a bridge right now. Luckily, I was not able to do that because I'm incompetent. Um, Finally, Andrew Giuliani is going to be running for governor. Now, Andrew Giuliani, of course, the son of Rudolph Giuliani. If you remember, let's say 1994, Rudy Giuliani gets elected. He's doing his uh, inauguration speech as the mayor of New York. And one of his kids is crawling all over him and like talking to him in the middle of the speech. Uh, Chris Farley eventually played the kid in a Saturday Night Live sketch. That was Andrew Giuliani. Now he's going to be running uh, for governor against most likely a man who's truly awful. We talked about him today. Andrew Cuomo is awful dot com. While he's still in office, while he's still there, make sure to get your cup, your mug, your uh, T-shirt, whatever you want to get. Andrew Cuomo is awful dot com. Back in a second. All right, go to blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. If you go there and you use that promo code, that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. How many great shows do we have here now? I mean, jeez, it's overwhelming. I mean, my show, the radio show, you've got Glenn Beck TV, Pat Gray, you've got, uh, man, Chad Prather and Steven Crowder and Ali Stuckey. I mean, you're loaded up. You're loaded up. Take advantage of it. Get 10 bucks off your subscription using the promo code STU. Again, it's blazetv.com slash STU. Uh, let me ask you this question. Why, why on earth does the, why on earth does the media want us to eat bugs? I'm just, I'm just asking a question because they seem to be pushing this all the time. There is a new article out from CBS News, which gives you a recipe for cicada cookies. 
The University of Mar Maryland has a group called the Cicada Maniacs, and they have cookies that should look like, quote, cicadas emerging out of a little pile of chunky mud. You are going to put in, yes, shortening, eggs, sugar, unsweetened chocolate, baking powder, vanilla, flour, egg whites, and 60 dry-roasted cicadas. Uh, by the way, at the end of the article, it says, Disclaimer, the University of Maryland and the Cicada Maniacs do not advocate eating cicadas without first consulting your doctor. They do say, however, it is a great source of cheap, tasty, natural protein. Oh.